What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans. And stocks, like Scott just said, the Dow is down 1,000 points right now. All the indexes are down big today. And bond yields are at all-time lows. Uh, There's fear about a global economic slowdown growing as coronavirus cases outside of China continue to climb. All sectors of the stock market are lowered today. Oil is deep in the red. Gold is popping. Let's get straight to Dom Chu. He's got all the numbers for us to top off the hour. Dom? All right. So, Kelly, I was all ready and queued up to tell you that the lows of the session were 1,012 to the downside, except we've just taken all of those out. So right now what you're seeing, about 1,020 plus is the low of the session. Again, this is right now the low of the session, down about 1,024 points for the Dow. At the highs, we were down 589 points for reference, just so you know. The S&P 500, by the way, at this level, means that it has erased all of its gains for 2020 so far year-to-date. The Nasdaq really pacing the declines off by nearly 4%, as you can see here. Now, a couple of the hot spots we're talking about so far today. Check out, first of all, what's happening with regard to the macro picture. Ten-year Treasury note yields, remember, just about 1.32%. That was the record low for 10-year Treasury yields in the wake of the Brexit vote. We're almost there right now. So 10-year note yields, keep an eye on those. Also, what's happening with gold prices, hitting seven-year highs again, fresh seven-year highs. You've got to go all the way back to 2013 to see levels that we've seen so far. Gold, gold again, 1676, the last trade there. And if you're looking for thematic elements with regard to what's happening with markets overall, check out what's happening with crude oil prices. They are down, again, 5% of the downside today. And technology and utilities, I put them up here right now because technology, the worst performing sector after being a leadership role for the last year, the worst performing sector over the last week, and utilities down by about a percent over the last one week the best performing sector. So that just gives you an idea, Kelly, of the kind of market dynamic we're seeing right now. I'll send things back over to you. Yeah, very, very defensive one. Dom, thanks very much. And even as he was pointing to those numbers, those refreshed session lows, the selling pressure taking down everyone from the FANG names uh, to Nike to Tesla today. Uh, the selling is really indiscriminate. For more, let me welcome in Vahan Janjagian. He's Chief Investment Officer at Greenwich Wealth Management. Peter Bookvar is Chief Investment Officer for Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. And Fred Kemp is President and CEO of the Atlantic Council, also a CNBC contributor. It's great to have you guys all here. Peter, let me just start with you. A lot of jaw-dropping things about the action today. What do you think investors need to know? Well, this is sort of like a catch-up trade. The bond market has been telling you they've been worried about the economic impact of this virus for the last month and a half. And even before that, the 10-year yield falling was worried about something with growth. But the 10-year yield's always worried. I guess, what, you know, how, how bad do the growth numbers look today that it justifies everybody else finally catching up to this point? Well, at least in the U.S., we're talking now GDP growth of prob- probably at best one and likely less. China's economy is obviously going to contract in, in the first quarter, and you're going to have 
probably nine out of the ten biggest economies in the world that will show at best no growth in the first quarter. And behind today, the most important, or I guess over the weekend, I mean, we really saw this move going back to late Friday, where the cases outside of China continued to climb and people just got this sense of coronavirus is spreading and it may be coming to my doorstep. You know, this morning we heard from Warren Buffett, uh, who said you have to take the long term view with these things. They come and go. You know, there's always a crisis. We look to buy good businesses and so forth. Um, is that, you know, not can you be that long term oriented? I guess you can if you're young enough or you've made your career like Buffett's. Um, but on a day like today, when people are trying to figure out what growth dynamics in their supply chains might look like, what, what's your advice? Well, I, I think the market could go lower. I mean, keep in mind that we had an incredible year last year, so we're still not that far from our highs. Um, but we've known for a while that uh, we have to see a slowdown. This coronavirus thing has been going on for a while. And as Peter pointed out, there have been a lot of other markets like the bond market that have been telling us that a uh, slowdown is coming. Oil prices are way down. Gold is up. Uh, copper prices are down. So I think it's been uh, a bit uh, weird that stocks have done so well compared to everything when else. When you both say a slowdown is coming, do you mean a first quarter uh, 1% GDP number or do you mean something more uh, serious than that? Uh, it's an I don't know answer because we don't know how long this goes on. But you look at last year, growth around 2%. Earnings were basically flat. So now you can say maybe at best we'll get 2%, probably less than that, and earnings expectations that are still uh, very high relative to what I think we'll likely see. And so that's why you say behind the big head scratchers why the stock market has done so well. But then if, if the expansion continues, then, I mean, that's a big question, right? You can, you can say a slowdown is coming, it's priced in, but it, it's to what extent, you know, how severe? Well, I always tell people that we will definitely have a recession. It's only a question of, of when. We always have recessions. Right. So, um, I'm not expecting a recession this year. I think we can still get by this. I think the U.S. economy will still grow this year, uh, probably less than what it did last year. But uh, as far as a recession goes, I'm not expecting one this year, but eventually we'll have one. Fred, let me bring you in and maybe you can help us kind of pinpoint uh, the next hot spots that we should be worried about globally. You know, everyone's looking for how this spread in Italy. Uh, there's a lot of concern about how all these different countries are going to manage it now that China, which is you know, so authoritarian, couldn't even really uh, get its arms around it. Uh, what are you most concerned about? Uh, well, Kelly, thanks very much for that. I, I mean, Italy is frightening, uh, particularly b because it's part of a Europe with no borders. Uh, you have a shutdown of Carnival in Venice. Whoever thought that would happen because of something that broke out in Wuhan? Right. Uh, you, had, you do have, of the top 10 economies in the world, all of them are slowing, three of them in recessionary territory. Uh, and the only thing that surprises me, and you know, I wrote in my uh, CNBC column week, uh, recently that I thought that global investors were overly complacent. Now we have to see, are they overreacting? But the fact of the matter is it's not just coronavirus, it's the slowing economy. And on top of that is global debt, $244 trillion of global debt. That's a record. And it's the highest level of public debt since the end of World War II. So investors have been betting on either fiscal stimulus or monetary stimulus uh, to bail them out the way it has over the last decade. Uh, but, um, uh, but I just don't know whether the forces or work are going to make that uh, the bailout that they're going to get. I, I agree that things are going to go down. The question is how far. So, Peter, that brings up the inevitable question of the Federal Reserve's response here. And people have cheekily said, well, why should the Federal Reserve respond to a, a disease outbreak? Um, but I think Fred's kind of traced the, that narrative arc for us. Um, what do you think the market's pricing in now? Are they going to force the Fed to try to cut rates again? Well, right now, the Treasury market's easing for them with this big drop in, in rates. Now, in terms of what the Fed funds futures are saying, they're fully pricing in two cuts and about a 50 percent chance of a third. But 
before the Fed started cutting, they had nine rates to cut, assuming they were going to go back to zero and not go negative. They said the first three are insurance, which implied that anything from there was to address economic challenges, which we now face. But if you're the Fed, wouldn't it be easier just to wait to springtime just to see whether this virus starts sure. to go away yeah. or, or instead of using them? But I think the most important point is central banks, including the Fed, are completely impotent to deal with any economic challenge we face right now because rates are already so low, they've expended so much ammunition already that people should not be looking at them for any type of savior-type behavior. But they still do, right? I mean, They, or- they still do because they've been conditioned for the last 10 years. They've been brainwashed and thinking that the Fed can cure every ill. Well, and I'm telling extent, you that they're not going to be able to but, cure this one. But let's say the verdict is the stock market. They might say, look, the stock market tells us the Fed. Look, Vahan, last year we started out at the beginning of the year really worried about the economy and the yield curve was inverted. They cut three times and by the end of it we were record highs. Right, right. And I'd also like to point out that today we have more than a 3% decline in the stock market. Um, everybody thinks that's unusual. I think what's really been unusual is that we haven't had more sell-offs in the past. If you go back to 2011, we had 12 trading days that year when the market moved by more than 3%. Well, that was quite a year. Yeah, that (laughs) was quite a year. We thought Europe was going to break up that that year. That's right. That's right. But, um, you know, this is not that big of a deal when you look at it uh, in the big picture of where we are from the highs. I think the market could go lower, so I'm not suggesting that people jump in and buy today. But, you know, as Warren Buffett pointed out, that if you are a long-term investor, you don't want prices to go up anyway. You want prices to go down so you can buy more shares at a lower price. And right. as he says, the yeah. only time you would want prices to go up is when you're ready to sell. But this this does kind of land. And Fred, I'm curious for your thinking yeah. on this as well. Obviously, the other big news event out of the weekend was Bernie Sanders uh, stepping closer to the uh, nomination of, of the Democratic presidential candidate. You have a situation now in which the economy might factor in largely uh, to that, to how that vote goes in the fall. Goldman, uh, Peter was referencing this, this earlier, thinks this is about an eight-tenths of a percent hit to first quarter GDP, but that you would get some bounce back in Q2 and Q3. Now, this was before the spreading got worse. Uh, right. What kind of economy are we going to have uh, for Super Tuesday over the summer and then it, come November, do you think? Well, I, I think you're going to have a lot of people more worried than they were at the beginning of this electoral process. Uh, you're certainly going to have Trump putting pressure on the Fed to loosen things up. The Fed actually has a, a little bit of room left. In Europe, you have no room at all, and, and uh, because of negative rates in some places, zero rates other places, you have 0.1% uh, growth in the fourth quarter in Europe. You have Germany at zero in, 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 the, in the fourth quarter. And so Europe is a real risk area. And let's not rule out geopolitical risk. We still have issues with, uh, with Iran, with China, with Russia, with North Korea. You still have issues on Venezuela. So uh, we haven't even started trying to price in. I don't know, even know how you would do that. But in an election year uh, where certain adversaries might not like the idea of things going entirely smoothly for President Trump, you have to start worrying a little bit more about uh, geopolitical risk as well. Right. Peter, let's go back to your point and that uh, Fred was just emphasizing, which is even in a place like Europe, an economy like Germany's that is so ailing, and by the way, having election consequences there too, there's not a lot the central bank can apparently seem to do. So um, right now, the, the question with the stock market, I should say, the Dow's down 1,045 points right now. It's not that we haven't ever seen a sell-off of 3.5% in one day. It's the question is, what happens next? And you're suggesting that even this idea that, hey, no matter how bad it gets, the Fed can step up and support things, people should be careful how far they extend that now. Right. I think the, part of the bull case has been, well, I can pay 20 times earnings because rates are low without asking, well, why are rates low? Well, rates are low because growth is slowed, earnings growth is slowed, cash flows are slowing. 
So now I think you start to shift to, okay, well, there's a flip side to, to why rates are low, and it's not all good. So maybe I don't want to pay 20 times earnings. Or if it's a tech stock, I don't want to pay 30 times earnings. I only want to pay 20 times earnings. Well, going from 30 to 20 is a 33% decline in the stock of a particular name. So I think valuations are really important right now. Valuations don't matter until they do. The question is, is figuring out when do they do. And when you start to get a, a situation like we're in, all of a sudden valuations matter. And I think that's what investors now have to reevaluate is what do they want to pay for things. Is there anything the two of you would be buying on a day like today? I continue to like gold and silver, and I think some of these big uh, energy stocks paying fat dividends, like Royal Dutch paying an 8% dividend, uh, is really attractive. And Bahan? Yeah, actually, um, I have orders in right now to buy uh, stocks that I consider to be very much out of favor. Uh, one of my favorite uh, out of favor stocks is what I would call the anti-Tesla, that's Ford Motor Company. Um, it's got a dividend close to 8%, and I, 8%, believe, wow. yeah, I believe they're going to be able to, uh, to sustain that. Um, I also like the energy sector. Um, you know, I do use the XLE uh, to add to those positions. All right, we got to go. Fred, we'll give you the final word here. As you mentioned, you're not uh, pleased with what's happened with coronavirus cases in Italy. What's the next place you'd be watching in terms of whether this is going to get a lot worse or not? Well, you've got to watch Italy, but you've also got to watch the Europe around Italy. Uh, open borders is what Europe is all about. It's part of what dri- drives the economy. And will uh, certain countries start closing on, on other countries? The other thing I really would watch is half of the top 20 economies in the world have loosened up their budgets this year because they see there isn't as much room for monetary uh, tools, and so they're moving to fiscal stimulus. But look at debt. Uh, that is really driving up debt. And, and uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm not a trader, so I won't uh, pontificate on stocks. But you just wonder how, how, how long uh, the markets are going to look at these rising debt levels and not, uh, not respond to them. That's probably the number one question everybody has. Warren Buffett echoed it this morning, said he and Charlie talk about it. They don't know the answer. Uh, so we'll leave it there with appreciations for all of you. Peter Bookvar, Vahanja Jiggin, and Fred Kemp. Uh, the Dow is down 1,037 points right now, just at session lows. That's a 3.5% drop for the blue chips. It's the worst day in two years for both the Dow and the S&P. The NASDAQ is a little bit harder hit, if you can even imagine that. It's down about 4% right now. I will continue to follow it throughout the hour. But let's get you the latest in the coronavirus outbreak. Now more than 79,000 cases worldwide, more than 2,600 deaths. Uh, Curious if there's any sign of containment yet where this all started. Eunice Yoon is in Beijing with the latest for us. Hi, Eunice. Hi, Kelly. Well, the World Health Organization had a message from Beijing today that other countries should learn from China and take on a rigorous approach to fight the virus. The WHO had a senior team in China for the past for the past week or so, traveling around the country to get a better handle on the situation on the ground here, including at the epicenter of Wuhan. And the officials said that they have determined that the drop in new infections here is real, that China's aggressive approach has been effective in curtailing the virus's spread. The only drug that seems to work as a treatment is Remdesivir by Gilead, and the virus will likely be around for months. Now, the WHO has been under scrutiny uh, for not being critical enough of the Chinese government. And the official today didn't do much to dispel that notion, urging other countries to lift their travel and trade restrictions on China because of the drop in cases here. Also praising China for its efforts to stabilize the economy by phasing out some of its own restrictions on the population here. Kelly? 
Eunice, we appreciate it so much. Eunice Yoon staying live for us in Beijing all session. Uh, let's take a look at crude oil, one of the hardest hit in response to everything we've seen in terms of China's economy and the global economy. Crude is down about 5% right now and sliding into bear market territory. That's a 20% drop. As investors fear that a surge in the number of coronavirus cases could continue to demand, uh, dent demand for crude, there's the chart. As you can see it, it's just over $50 a barrel. And this has been an ugly, ugly looking thing since the start of the year. And unfortunately, that's not the good news for the U.S. economy that it once was. For more, I'm joined by John Kilduff. He's founding partner at Again Capital and a CNBC contributor. And our own Brian Sullivan is here as well. And Brian, why do you think people are so much more concerned about coronavirus than about something like the flu, which seems, I say in quotes, to have a similar um, deadliness in terms of cases and mortality this time of year? Why is it that people are so worried, reacting so sharply everywhere this virus spreads now? You had a headline from Michelin, the tire company today, saying that industrial orders are down 30 percent for tires. You look at Eunice's awesome reporting, talking about transportation, flights, trains, cars, all down in a country that uses 14 or so million barrels a day of oil. And if we reduce that transportation by 30 or 40 percent, then factor that over weeks and days and months, Now, what I hear, and maybe John can back this up or counter it, is that China's buying a lot of oil right now because they're trying to fill their coffers while it's cheap. Oh, so it's not even as bad as it could be. No, and that's kind of the point. I would say the good news is we're at 50. We're not at 30. Right. And and by the way, John, this is where it gets really important. People, there is obviously a certain benefit for the U.S. consumer, which uses crude, but the U.S. economy, would you say, is a net benefactor from crude oil at this point? So falling crude oil prices... I mean, I don't even know if that helps us so much. Yeah, I mean, it's done a lot. That's, there's no two ways about it. Tons of great paying jobs, tons of big industry, tons of uh, multiplier effect jobs from the pipelines and the, the ports now that we built. But I will always remind myself that this is still a two-thirds consumer economy. So in a way, it still is good news because people have more discretionary income to spend. If they'll go out and leave their house to spend it, if this thing keeps spreading, then we, get that, 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 we don't even get that positive effect with the economy. Well, that, and that's a good point. We should also make clear there's a difference between the direction it's going and the level that it's at. So it's one thing if it's falling from 100. You know, of course, that would be $100 a barrel. Once we're already down at 50, I mean, what's the kind of danger zone, so to speak, where in those energy-producing uh, places, which have been under a lot of pressure for the last couple of years now, this starts to really mean shutdowns and possibly layoffs. $50. This is it. This is the line in the sand. This is where they really start to hurt. This is where they start to not be able to uh, service their debt. This is where the expense ratio does not work for, for Wall Street, for private equity, for anybody. Uh, you've seen on the chart going back several years now, $50 has always been sort of the, the savior point. We've tested below it any number of times, but we keep getting back above it. And maybe, Brian, I mean, we're not, you know, we're not totally down there yet, but obviously it's been a really ugly start to the year, probably the worst way the year could have started for anybody in the energy sector who hoped they might finally see a reprieve. I was in Galveston on Friday night. Mm. I was hanging out with people from Houston and in the oil and gas business. It's getting grim because you've got $87 billion in debt that is due between now and 2024. 61% of that is speculative, is junk. The bonds of Chesapeake Energy and Devon Energy and a few others they're at 50 and 60 cents. These are once $8 and $10 billion companies. You have really hundreds of companies in this space, which are public and private, we don't talk about the private ones, struggling to meet their debt obligations. I've said it before, Kelly, oil is a four-letter word, and it's spelled D-E-B-T. And this is really the last thing that an industry that is already sort of crushing under the weight of debt needs. Once again, worst performing sector, down 4.5% right now, the debt-heavy companies like 
Oasis and others, they're down 10% right now. Yeah. 10%. And it's shriveling as a part of the overall market. I mean, you have to go back to those days where it was the biggest sector. That was 08, 09. Everything else was collapsing. Energy, you know, crude was at 100. This is a very different story. Does it come back? I mean, there's a couple of different factors here. Probably the most important short term, we kind of put aside all the environmental issues and, and the fact there's almost nowhere to send it because it's so cheap. Why not just the global GDP picture? What, what do we have to see in order for this to go to recover the losses so, we've seen so this the, year? The, there was some talk that some uh, liquefied natural gas cargoes were rejected by a Spanish buyer on Friday. I called Chenier Energy. It was their cargoes. They said we don't comment on customer transactions. So, you know, reached out to them. If we start to see these big cargoes start to get turned down because they don't need it, then you start to see the sort of the virus sort of move around affecting GDP, not just in China, but maybe in Italy, parts of Europe as well. And that comes back to the United States, which is now one of the biggest exporters of petroleum products in the world. Right, exactly. That, that was the saving grace for the whole sector was, hey, we can now export more of this, John, as long as someone's going to yeah, take it. And they're being turned away in China as well because uh, natural gas demand there is way down on top of everything else. I will tell you this too, Kelly, the one country I haven't heard talked about much in the past uh, little while here is South Korea is, is reeling from the coronavirus mm-hmm. now. That is like the next... If you could make a parade of horribles for a, a bearish crude oil story hitting South and Korea gas. now. Right? South Korea, Japan, and China, they are the buyers they of liquefied. Let me give you a little good news, just because I don't want to be just, you know, the black oil swan, right. if you will, up here, which is this in some weird, semi-perverse way maybe a positive for the industry that, that cannot contain itself from overproducing. And if we start to see c- capital spending slide, which we are, Maybe production levels will come down, firming up prices, which will enable those who are sort of in the middle. There are companies who are going to go away, Kelly, period. The middle ones may do better if we see capital spending and production slide. John, final word. You're an investor here. Let's put our investor hat on before we close this out and say... Do you look at this as a massive opportunity or is this complete? Is this just this whole sector just going out of business slowly? It's always darkest before the dawn. I, I thought this was going to be a much better year for the uh, majors, particularly Chevron, particularly for ExxonMobil. Uh, their dividends, I think, are still safe. Uh, matter of fact, I was speaking with Peter Bookfar about this. He's done some work besides everything else he does. Right. That guy. <laughs> There's a lot of hats. <laughs> that, I know. Um, if they just cut back on their stock buybacks, they can preserve the dividends. So that's my biggest worry for investors who are mm. looking to get into this space. So on that basis, yeah, Shell, Chevron, ExxonMobil, because they're also going to have the deep pockets to Brian's point to be able to pick up the, uh, the, the OPEC's supposed to meet in two weeks. And Dan Pickering, CEO of Tudor Pickering Hope, put out a tweet saying, I wonder if OPEC is going to be nervous to meet. Do you want to be in a room oh, with a right, hundred top executives and from all, all over the world and all the media from all these countries? Are you going to go? Uh, I can't because the Zero Week conference is, I would literally have to fly from Vienna to Houston, right? which I'm willing to do, but the direct flights are limited. Yes. Uh, and I heard the Iranian oil minister is already not going to the OPEC meeting as a result of the coronavirus. See, so go. this is going to be, and, and that's why the stock of Zoom is up, but we'll get to that later in the show. Thank you both. Brian, I'll see you again soon. John, we really appreciate it. Thank John you, Kilduff. Uh, how about a market check for you? The Dow just set a new session low when it was down 1,073 points today. We're down about 1,024 right now. Again, 3.5% declines for the major averages, about a 4% drop for the NASDAQ. And yields are a major part of this story. We are setting near record lows. The 10-year yield closed at a record low today. Right now, it's just under 1.36%. The 30-year has also been at a record low. 1.817 is the latest there. And Apple, one of the most widely exposed stocks to the coronavirus, down more than 4% right now. 
right now. Concerns about supply chains and soft demand are key in terms of putting pressure on this stock. And also take a look at the major casinos. As you might expect, anyone with exposure to Macau, all lower today. MGM shedding another 6%. Now, as officials in China and around the world battle to contain the coronavirus, infrared temperature checks have become common practice. But many experts are warning that this technology has serious flaws. Eric Chemi has the story. It's become one of the many striking images to come out of the deadly health crisis in Asia. A masked official aiming an infrared thermometer at travelers to screen for symptoms of coronavirus. It's all in an effort to curtail the deadly virus that has now killed more than 2,000 people. But experts like Jim Seffrin say these devices may not be so accurate. I think the greatest harm or danger comes in missing a person who might be feverish and could be, could be actually sick. Seffrin says that officials are using industrial-grade thermometers meant for testing machines, not people. These thermometers are not appropriate for human body temperature measurement because they can be off by as much as 7 Fahrenheit degrees, which is way too inaccurate. We visited the Infrospection Institute, where they do training and certification with infrared thermometers to see how different types of thermometers can often mean inaccurate results. This says I'm a 98.4. This medical-grade infrared thermometer said I was about 98.9. So now let's see what is the industrial grade thermometers say the way that they've been doing a lot of these measurements in Asia. Sure. Okay. 94.6. Wow. Not even close. This has been consistently off by four or five degrees. Correct. Doesn't surprise me. It's not made for this application and it's not something that I would ever uh, suggest somebody use. Seffrin says that lack of education and training is the main problem. It's said that drastic times call for desperate measures. But one should not be so desperate that we choose something which is ineffective or inaccurate. Well, Eric Chemi joins me now. That's pretty eye-opening. So just to be clear, there's two different kinds, infrared and industrial. And you've... No, they're both infrared. I got so it. there's industrial grade, okay. which is this one I'm holding right now. And then there's medical grade. Medical grade. Medical okay. grade. The benefit of that is the accuracy. But the, the downside of that, it's a tight range. Because for medical grade, we only care about 95 to 105 degrees. But we can get it down to the correct tenth. This is meant for if a building is on fire, something 1,000 degrees or negative 100 degrees. So is there any way you can get a medical-grade reading with this kind of equipment? I mean, this, that would be the, the holy grail, this right? This equipment, uh, you're not going to get the correct reading. As we saw, this is the one we had in the package. It said it was 95. But the other ones we had at the table, they were medical-grade. So it's had me at around 98.9. So it's just a matter of buying the correct thing, hmm. having the training to know how to use it, and knowing that... It, when it has a little laser dot on your forehead, it's actually getting a cone-based temperature. So depending on how far away you are, you might mess it up. The, the air temperature around you might mess it up. So, so his point is that some of the devices are accurate, but in all those photos that we showed, they were all using the industrial-grade kind, not the medical-grade. And that just makes you wonder about the numbers all over again. That is just it so unfortunate. Make you wonder. And, yeah. and a lot of people in America are also buying this thing as they see that, think, oh, I need to get it, but they right. order the wrong kind. And getting misled. No, it's, uh, thank you for doing the package, Eric. We appreciate it. it. Eric Chemi. Coming up, the retail ETF is having its worst day since August at the height of the trade war. Who will weather these supply disruptions? We've got some names for you. And a look before we go at the worst performing sectors right now, energy, which we just discussed, but also tech and consumer discretionary. All of those seeing big declines today. The Dow's down 1,025 points. We're back in two minutes with a lot more on this sell-off. 
electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to The Exchange. Not many days I can say we're 100 points off the lows, but that's where we sit right now. Uh, at its lows just a few minutes ago, the Dow was down 1,073 points. We're down 983 right now. Major declines across the board, about 3.5% for the Dow and the S&P. The Nasdaq down 3.8% right now. Uh, let's get you caught up with team coverage on every angle of this sell-off. Philip Bowe is watching the skies and the big moves in airlines today. Wilfred Frost has a beat check on the banks. You might be surprised how poorly some of them are doing or maybe not, given what's going on in rates today. Seema Modi is looking at the moves in travel stocks that one epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak. And Robert Frank has a look at how badly luxuring is being affected. Let's begin with Phil LeBeau in Chicago and Phil, some bad, uh, a bad day across the board for the airlines here. Oh, terrible day, Kelly. And this is all about the fear that we are going to see clusters of coronavirus like we're seeing in South Korea and in Italy pop up in other regions around the world. And that might hurt demand, which is why you're seeing almost every airline stock really around the world under major pressure today. Look at the big three U.S. Uh, carriers, Delta, American, United, all down anywhere between three and a half and nine and a half, almost 10 percent in the case of American. The European airline stocks, Ryanair, this is a good example. It's under pressure. There's already been a travel warning that's been issued, uh, I believe, in Northern Ireland for people who are going over to Italy. It's that kind of thing that has people saying, wait a second, what do we think demand is going to be like? IAG, the parent of British Airways, also seeing the same kind of pressure today. And by the way, if you think, well, it's just the carriers that have exposure, let's say, to international routes, uh uh-uh. uh. It's those who are primarily domestic oriented as well. Take a look at Southwest, JetBlue, Alaska, Spirit, Spirit, which only flies here in the United States, down more than 10%. Kelly, this is a case where anybody who has exposure to the airlines is looking at the board and saying, there's no place to hide right now. Phil, it's a great point. But you know what? There's also a lot of discussion, and maybe it's just because we're in the middle of this, but so much discussion about these conferences. We just talked about the energy conferences. Everyone around the world is talking about the Singapore conference where coronavirus might have spread around the world. What if airlines are facing all of a sudden a loss of 10 percent of their future demand for people who are going to say, you know what, we're just not going to do that conference in the future. It's too Absolutely. Risky. Kelly, I was supposed to go to the Beijing Auto Show this year. Hmm. I'm not going. Mm-hmm. We don't even know when there's going to be a Beijing Auto Show this year. May not be one this year. That's the kind of thing that we're seeing across the board. So that has people worried about the international impact. But then you look at what's happening right now with those airlines that are primarily domestic oriented. They're getting basically chopped down today. And that's because people are concerned that overall there will be less travel going on. There's no indication that's the case at this point, Kelly, but that's the fear that is out there. Yep, for sure. That's the conversation. Phil, thank you, Phil LeBeau. Let's talk about those banks, too, which are reacting to a sharp drop in yields. The 30-year Treasury yield just hit a record low. The 10-year, a record closing low today. Wilfred Frost, these banks might have thought they were turning the page at the start of the year. The 10-year was at 1.9 percent, already a huge downdraft. 
Uh, absolutely, Kelly. They're all selling off uh, today in part because of that. Of the big banks, the three selling off the most are this year's top performer, Morgan Stanley, the bank with the highest exposure to Asia, Citi, and the bank with the highest exposure to net interest income, Bank of America. But all the banks, as we said, are selling off mainly because of that last point that you alluded to, Kelly, fears about outlook for net interest income because of the falling yield curve. Yields have collapsed so far year to date. The 10-year from a above 190 to below 140. And keep in mind that guidance for the year was given after Q4 earnings in January when yields were much higher. Now, last Thursday, Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman told me that China, quote, will bounce back out of this. But tomorrow we will hear from JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon at their investor day. Uh, interesting to see if they change guidance uh, for anything like net interest income. Banks down nearly 4% today and over 8% year-to-date, Kelly. You know, Wilf, real quick, one thing I hear a lot from uh, the bank investors, guys I really respect, is that interest rates don't matter as much as they once did. That spread is not as important as it once was. I mean, do they have a point, or, or at, at some level, do you still have to take that into consideration and say it's hard to be an investor in these stocks? Well, they have a point in that a collapse from 1.9% on the 10-year to 1.4 isn't as big a move as, say, when you're in the 5 or 6% before the last crisis and they collapsed aggressively down to, to zero. It's also true that last year, most of the pressures we saw on net interest margin was offset by loan growth for the first half of the year, i.e. volumes offset pricing. And then towards the latter part of the year, we saw fee income offset some pressures in net interest income, uh, partly, of course, because markets were at record highs. So things like wealth management margin, uh, wealth management earnings were very strong. Remains to be seen this quarter uh, if rates stay where they are, if market pulls back like it has done today. Uh, remains to be seen whether there'll be that many offsets and levers to pull. But we'll hear right. tomorrow, I guess, uh, from Jamie Dimon if he updates any guidance. True. It would be nice to hear from him. Uh, he might not agree. but uh, We always look forward to hearing from the, those who have weathered crises uh, when another one breaks out. Will, thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Pleasure. Wilfred Frost. Uh, next up, the French finance minister telling CNBC his country is already seeing 30 to 40 percent drops in tourists following the coronavirus outbreak. So let's talk about the impact on the travel sector. Seema Modi is here. And Seema, we might have thought these stocks had already priced this in. Right. Because prior to this weekend, Kelly, the expectation was that this virus and the drop in bookings was confined to Asia. But with the developments in Italy, now you have analysts wondering what this means for the decline in bookings to Europe. We're just about two and a half months away uh, till tourism to Europe really kicks into high gear to big cities like London, Paris, Milan, and Rome. And it's worth noting that tourism contributes about $8.8 billion to the world economy. So it certainly is a big revenue driver for big countries like Italy and Germany. Two important reads on the travel uh, sector will be Marriott, the world's largest hotel operator, set to report earnings on Wednesday, and Booking Holdings, the world's largest booking operator, on Wednesday as well. So those reports will certainly give us a better uh, view and also some good color as to how these CEOs see the demand in Europe now being affected. Right. You know, it's interesting. There's There are folks out there who say, how could anyone ever take a cruise again when it just seems to be one headline after another? Or we talked to Phil a moment ago about why even have this conference or this event when it just seems like the risk might be not worth it anymore. What is it you think that that people will say, you know what, I'm still going to get out there and travel. And by the way, we heard last week from Barry Bannister at Stiefel who said you had the renaissance after the bubonic plague, maybe after the 
coronavirus in China, those uh, the, the Chinese who were going to make these visits will be even more uh, eager to make them, maybe have even more money to spend uh, this year. Is that wishful thinking? It, it could potentially be. It's interesting. You look at the effect of Diamond Princess on consumer sentiment. Bookings so far, again, have dropped in Asia, but it really hasn't extended beyond that to North America or Miami and the Caribbean. When it comes to Royal Caribbean, they just issued a, a new travel restriction today, Kelly, saying that they're not only denying boarding to travelers through the mainland, China and Hong Kong, but also to Italy as well, the Italian regions of Lombardy and Veneto, where you've seen some of those cases of coronavirus. So that certainly plays, an, plays a role in how travelers will start to think about those cruises in Europe as well. Right. No, that's uh, an everyone's focus on that part of Italy right now to figure out exactly how this is being spread. Seema, stay right there, if you will. And the luxury retailers, like we've just alluded to, are definitely feeling the outbreaks of coronavirus. Robert Frank has that angle for us with some fashion shows in particular that became the face of this, Robert, all of a sudden. Yeah, you talk about conferences, you talk about tourism, and a lot of that all wrapped together in these luxury uh, these luxury fashion shows. Now, the, the outbreak in northern Italy now threatening Milan, that is one of the world's capitals of fashion and luxury. Milan's Fashion Week, of course, cut short Sunday night when authorities restricted all public access to events. Giorgio Armani holding his show to an empty theater while attendees and models at other events, including Bella Hadid, wearing protective masks. Now, you've got Dolce & Gabbana, Prada, Versace, all among Milan's most famous brands, now facing these other questions about how they're going to staff and how they're going to keep up production. Ferrari, which is based in Maranello, issuing a statement today that it's closing its two museums, suspending all factory tours, as well as outside visitors and non-critical travel. That stock down about 5% today. Shares of LVMH, Caring, Richemont, all down 4 to 5% here in the U.S. You've got Tapestry, which, of course, owns Coach and Kate Spade, down almost 8%. Luxury was already dealing with the China problem, Chinese uh, consumers accounting for more than a third of luxury spending. So that was phase one. Right. Now we're in phase two, where a lot of these European luxury brands make stuff in Europe, the very high-end and now you're talking about production, how you're going to get workers to the plant, if they're, especially in their, these towns that are being quarantined in Italy. It's a massive headache. And I, I, I wonder if people are now going to try to be overly cautious, given that they, in retrospect, China did not appear to be cautious enough. Right, exactly. And, and you know, fashion shows now move to Paris. So it's Fashion Week in Paris starting tomorrow. Oh, geez. That is a massive show where already designers are saying they're not going to go. Then you've got the Geneva Auto Show coming up a week later. That is the biggest auto show of the season. Questions about whether that's going to go on. And again, the, all the economic impacts from all that flowing throughout Europe. Yeah. I wonder, Robert, is if one of the uh, consequences of all of this is if pricing will come down. Although we know in the past, luxury retailers, they just don't, uh, they don't lower their prices. For a deal. I'm wondering yeah, the, if that exactly. would be one of the consequences. Well, the, the challenge is, let's say in the U.S., which is the, still the largest luxury market, maybe not in terms of growth, getting production to the U.S. if your factory in Milan is not working, that's going to be the problem. So I, don't, I think it's going to be a constraint in terms of supply as opposed to too much, demand, too much supply and not enough consumers. No, it's so. ironic that the two places that the world relies on for a lot of you know, th- this product are China, on the, not even just the low end. I mean, we've talked about how irreplaceable a lot of that supply chain is, and then Italy for especially some of the really right. high-end stuff. You've got 80% of the growth coming from Asia, and most of the production in Europe, those two places now getting hit. Right. Crazy. Guys, thank you. We appreciate it. Robert Frank, Seema Modi. Coronavirus contagion fears are sparking today's sell-off on Wall Street. The Dow's down 965 points. We'll have the very latest numbers and get a live report from the ground in Europe next. Don't go anywhere. As we head to break, here's a look at some of the stocks in the green today, including Clorox. Not making this up. It had a fresh intraday high. It's up 1.5%. 
Uh, there's also Gilead, uh, maker of one possible uh, way to treat this. Royal Gold, Newmont, United Therapeutics. The exchange is back in two with a lot more on the sell-off. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more. An extra large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. Welcome back. The Dow posting its biggest drop in two years today. It's down about 990 points right now. We are down 1,074 at the lows this hour. Uh, This, as coronavirus fears are spreading, let's get to Meg Terrell with the very latest numbers. What do we know, Meg? Hey, Kelly. Well, it's a spread that's appearing, a picture that's appearing to uh, improve in China while spread increases elsewhere. The World Health Organization saying this morning its team in China found that the disease appeared to peak and plateau there between January 23rd and February 2nd and has been declining steadily since then. But a sudden increase in cases in other countries, Italy, Iran and South Korea, are, quote, deeply concerning, WHO's director general said today. But he also noted the organization believes it's still too early to call the situation a pandemic, saying, quote, for the moment, we are not witnessing the uncontained global spread of this virus and large scale severe disease or death. Case counts stand at more than 79,000 worldwide and more than 2,600 have died, Kelly. You know, Mega, I... I just have to ask, I mean, how deadly is coronavirus relative to the flu? Can you explain to us the similarities, the differences? Because especially as it spreads worldwide, how concerned do people need to be about it coming to their neighborhood? Well, so those are multiple questions. Right now, what we know in terms of the case fatality rate, uh, the closer you get to the epicenter, the higher it gets, between 2 and 4% in Wuhan, China. Outside of Wuhan in China, it looks to be about 0.7%. Now, that is still much higher than flu, but flu has affected a greater number of people and kills a much larger number of people than currently the coronavirus has killed now. What's scary about the coronavirus is we just don't know what the trajectory is going to be, how long it's going to stick with us right now. Now, the WHO not yet using the word pandemic, but a lot in the public health community, a lot of people say we should be using that word now. It's interesting as well because a lot are pinning their hopes on warmer weather uh, in the U.S. or in this part of the world in general to say, look, if it by the time it comes, maybe things are warming up a little bit. It's been unseasonably warm even in this uh, part of the country. Is there any science behind that? I mean, is it, for something like coronavirus, could that really help stem the spread? Some people say, yes, we just don't know how this one's going to act. And of course, if you look around the world, there are countries that have spread that are now 85 degrees, like Singapore. So it's impossible to tell just from that one case uh, whether this will potentially be stopped here or in other places due to warmer weather, but we can certainly hope. You're right. That's true. Uh, all right, Meg, we appreciate it. Uh, Meg Trill with the very latest for us there. And let's drill down a little bit on what's happening in Italy. Joining me now on the phone is CNBC Italy's Claudia Pensati. Claudia, we really appreciate hearing from you today. And Robert Frank just outlined uh, what's been going on in the country. Meg just gave us a, a little bit of an update on what's happening with the virus itself. 
What can you tell us at this hour uh, is the latest in Italy? Well, Kelly, at this point, the situation is that obviously everyone is monitoring very carefully these numbers as they escalate. Uh, they seem to be escalating uh, slower than maybe some had expected. Last night, the number was 152 people were infected. Now today, it's up to 230. Uh, the deaths at this point are six, uh, five of which are in the Lombardy region, which is the most hit region, which is the region where you do have a lockdown situation in about 10 small towns that make up a radius of about 10 kilometers. So 50,000 people live in that area, 8 million live in the Lombardy region, and 7 million live in the Veneto region. So 15 million people overall, they are affected by the uh, very stringent measures that have been put uh, uh, out there. So it's not a lockdown for the rest of these regions, just for those 50,000 is the lockdown where the cluster, the main cluster is. Uh, but for uh, all the others, the measures include closing schools, universities, uh, movies, uh, theaters, theaters, the museums, uh, the cathedrals, uh, masses, any um, situation where you can have multiple people gathering, uh, they have asked for those to be stopped. Now, the mood in Milan was actually pretty subdued, more traffic than usual because people aren't taking, obviously, the uh, public transport. There was uh, less traffic in terms of uh, trains, almost 40% less traffic was registered today in terms of trains, less people flying, uh, but still people were going to work. The big businesses here have taken uh, measures uh, to allow smart work so people can stay home and work from home. Uh, they have canceled any big events, as you were talking a few minutes ago about the fashion week. Well, that was actually close to ending. So those last fashion shows were held behind closed doors. Uh, some events now have been, some big fairs have been canceled that we usually have at this time of year in Milan. So clearly the concern is how long will this last? What kind of, in, you know, what kind of impact will it have in the longer term? To give you an idea about what happened with markets, we did see our market have its seventh worst day since September 11th. So this strong decline over uh, five percentage points with, of course, luxury suffering and uh, banks clearly gives you an idea that this was a very emotional day uh, for this market. Remember, we Absolutely. represent in this area almost 30% of GDP in this uh, uh, two regions, Kelly. So 30% of Italy's GDP in, in the Lombardy and, and what else? And what other region, Claudia? The Lombardy and Veneto region were Veneto. Veneto. Got it. also there. They have also, yes, they, where they have canceled Carnival. This is normally a holiday time here right. in Italy with Carnival Week. Yeah, uh, that has all been canceled. And I know so, yeah, those are the two biggest Ash Wednesday on Wednesday and those masses being canceled. Almost unthinkable. It tells you just how seriously uh, people are taking it. And we appreciate it, Claudia, very, very much for joining us today. Claudia Pensati is with CNBC Italy. Those virus fears are hurting more than just oil prices. Copper, a good gauge of growth, is having its worst day in more than a week, and it's down 8% on the year. We want to bring in Jim Urio now for some reaction to all of this. He's a CNBC contributor and managing director at TJM Institutional Services over at the CME. Jim, it's good to hear from you, and that was fascinating from Claudia to hear exactly what's going on or, or really not going on in Italy. Uh, where do you think we should see across the commodities a, f a bigger reaction? Uh, and where do you think a lot of this has already been priced in? Well, what is really interesting to me is when I put up the charts with copper and crude, because historically copper trades as a proxy for China, and crude had been getting hit much worse. And then I realized it's because we had already known that the situation in China is, is relatively dire, and that part seems to be priced into the equation as well. The real story today 
is that perhaps, and I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to panic yet, perhaps it's jumping out of China and, and increasing in other places as well. And that's why crude, which is viewed as a more global commodity, is getting hit harder today. But both of them, the, over the last two or three weeks, the, the story was the virus up against either uh, central bank stimulus, and that's why copper had rallied since February 1st, but now we're calling into question of whether or not that's not even going to work. And crude, you have to throw in OPEC job owning it higher, too. But now with, these, with this new, if it's starting to spread to the globe, the market's going to wonder, can they really save some of these commodity prices? My answer to that, by the way, I think is going to be yes, but as of today, it doesn't seem like people feel that way. That's it. I love that, that compare and contrast between copper and uh, between crude, Jim. I mean, look, look around where else. You know, it's interesting to me that Bitcoin is not uh, up today. Gold is. But again, it was up a little bit uh, more even last week. That was kind of the bigger part of the move. So how would you, if you want to go forward and take a different point of view, if you want to say, I expect a lot of central bank action or I expect none of it, how should you be placing your bets? I expect a lot of central bank action. I've expected that for about a month. That's why I've been long gold and talking about gold. And I've been talking about buying 10 years, too, but I never actually pulled the trigger on that. I'm still quite comfortable in those trades. The Bitcoin thing that you mentioned, months and months ago, I think people thought maybe it was a store of value. But then realistically, when you look at it, and it has 30% moves every couple days on occasion. Uh, to me, it, it seems like it's something that volatile doesn't belong in the where I go to in times of panic. Uh, I still think the gold thing, because I do think it's going to... Steve Mnuchin mentioned something about perhaps more central bank stimulus around the globe just yesterday, and the market seems to be ignoring that. So I think that's, will they, that's where they will respond. Uh, they'll throw more stimulus at the problem. I'm not sure it'll work for the problem itself, yeah. but I am relatively sure it's going to end up in some of these assets. Okay. Uh, Jim, always good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. We'll let you get Thank back you, to Kelly. it. Jim Urio at the CME. How about retail? Let's take a look there where the S&P retail ETF is on pace for its worst day since late last August. And companies with an outsized exposure to global consumers like Nike and Tapestry are seeing some of their worst single day losses since the trade war with China. Joining me now, Brian Nagel, a senior equity research analyst at Oppenheimer. And CNBC's own Courtney Reagan is here at the table with me as well. Um, Courtney, I'll, I'll just first start with you on the news itself. Is this more a supply story or a demand story is, or is the problem that it's both? It could be both. It could be either or. It could be neither. This is so company by company, much like the tariff exposure was. How much do you produce? in China and how dependent are you on your customers in China and customers that are traveling potentially out of China in other places. Canada Goose really was probably the most, I would say, severe in their commentary on the earnings call saying, look, this isn't a supply issue for us, but demand, you bet it is, not only in China, but also we really count on that Chinese tourist traveling around the globe. That's going to be trouble for us when they're buying in other regions if they're unable to travel. And they noted that even Tmall, so online, their sales had already taken a hit in China. So if you're not buying in stores, in some cases, at least for some of these brands, you're also not buying in store. And then you look at some other names, even like a guess. We may not think about guess as a, as a luxury name, but Italy and South Korea, really important markets for them. So shares of guess are taking a pretty big hit today, too. Wow. Brian, let me bring you in on that. And for the company, for the coverage universe that you have, uh, who do you think is being unfairly sold? Uh, and is there anyone who you think kind of isn't being sold enough? Our clients about this issue, I think it's really important you know, to keep in mind is how fluid the situation really is. What I'm hearing from my companies so far, and I, uh, companies like Nike, Lululemon, and the handbag companies, is there's clearly been an impact upon demand, just like Courtney said, in China. 
Okay, but other than that, there really hasn't been much of an impact yet. And what I'm not hearing, and I think this is really key so far, is real supply chain disruptions. In fact, I was just talking to some companies. My, You're not my, hearing that. I'm not hearing that yet. You know, it's it, what I've heard from. Uh, and again, this could change rather quickly, right? But what, I'm, what I am hearing from my companies is that ahead of Chinese New Year, there was a lot of inventory built. They have stocks of inventory, so right now there has not been the supply chain disruption. Now, obviously, that's going to have that's going to depend upon how long this lasts how long it spreads. It seems almost unfathomable when people talk about, you know, the, the country being shut down. I mean, I was reading stories, Brian, in the journal over the weekend where, you know, you have people who are quarantined to their homes and to hotels and they're not, you know, they're, they can't even get from one province to the next because things are literally shut down. It's just, is it, you think the effect isn't being felt yet or do you really think the effect won't be there? Well, look, it's going to depend on how long it lasts. Now, again, the information we're getting piecemeal, but you know what I've heard from some com- from, from the companies I've been speaking with is that production in China is coming back online at a li- in limited capacity, and then they have these inventories built. So we're not, you know, again, these and these retailers deal with lo- relatively long lead times anyway. So what that implies then is that right now they're not having the supply constraints. Now, if this were to last, if it were to last for a longer period of time, then the supply constraints could become an issue. Sure. And that's why, Courtney, that update from Meg earlier was so interesting. It told us maybe in China it's less of a, of a concern. But now, of course, it's the rest of the world. Where we're going to be watching for the numbers to climb, even if China's aren't at the same pace. Absolutely. And so we focus so much on that luxury consumer in China. I know you had an earlier segment talking about luxury, but that's why I bring up that guest example, because guess is so important, or Italy is so important, rather, for guests, as is South Korea. So we're really going to have to dig into some of these reg- revenue regions and figure out what's important to what company where. And Brian, I know, also covers Best Buy, and we talk awfully, an awfully lot about, especially during the tariff situation, Brian, about Best Buy being so exposed because of their vendor base manufacturing in China, and those shares are selling off pretty sharply right, here today. Like Wayfair today is getting hurt you think they'd have similar brian quick last word on that are you sticking with all of uh, with the buy on best buy among others we have in fact i just i just recently reiterated my my positive on best buy you know the one comment i would make and i think it's important again looking for somewhat of a a pause about there especially in a day like today with the market down as sharply it is and that one of the comments i've been making to our clients is you know if i look at the whole picture and take a step back you know one what's happening right now rates have come down substantially you know i see on my screen here in front of me the the tenure at 1.37 that's a big positive for rate-dependent retailers like the home improvement centers. And look, in those companies, Home Depot and Lowe's, don't source much from China. China is not a bit at all a big factor in their demand. So you know, those companies could actually benefit here. All right, Brian, we appreciate it. Courtney, thank you so much. Brian Nagel, Courtney Reagan talking about those retailers today. Now let's get to Contessa Brewer for a look at the insurers. What do you see there, Contessa? Uh, Kelly, no big surprise here. Insurers are down across the board. I want to specifically focus on the people, uh, on the insurers rather, that have exposure. For instance, AIG, American International Group, which has exposure internationally. And you're seeing those shares off almost 6%. Prudential Financial, MetLife down big. They're underperforming the insurance group as a whole. And why? We'll talk about business disruption. You just heard about those supply chain disruptions and whether those are happening. Expect those companies to be applying to their insurers, making claims for business disruption. And there may be even lawsuits that follow here as insurers try to claim that they're not responsible when there are business disruptions because of a viral outbreak. We'll keep a close eye on it, Kelly. Thank you, Contessa Contessa Brewer. 
Now, today's losses are testing key levels for the major averages. Here to drill down on the technicals of this sell-off, we welcome Katie Stockton. She's founder and managing partner of Fairlead Strategies. Katie, take us home. Uh, we've heard a lot this hour about the fundamentals, about the disease characteristics, about different parts of the world in the supply chain. You look at, quite simply, the charts, and what are they telling you about this market? Well, this morning we did see a lot of gaps down, and that doesn't just go for the U.S., but also overseas. And that's a problem. It does reflect a loss of short-term momentum, and it comes from what was an overbought condition. So I do think that we assume the pullback will keep its hold here in the near term, but not to panic, not to really be reactive on these types of moves, because sometimes they do prove to be opportunities. When you tend to get these very fast and furious, sort of emotionally charged down days, they are often um, yielding these sort of extremes in market sentiment, things like the VIX popping up to its highest level in more than a year. Those types of readings are often associated with tradable lows for the S&P 500 and other indices. So that's the kind of action that we actually pay attention to and get excited about. But we don't act on it until we actually get upturns, meaning a real sort of short-term uptick in momentum mm -hmm. to be more convinced that those extremes are going to be meaningful. You know, this hasn't been that long of a sell-off. It's been a sharp one today, but are you saying we could already be approaching the end of it? We could be. So what we look for are those extremes, the oversold extremes, and of course getting much more widespread than they were going into this morning. I believe it was only about 10% of the S&P 500 constituents were actually oversold already. So I think it'll probably take a few days to get to that extreme reading that we really want to see. And in the process, we have to judge whether the impact of this decline is actually just short-term or intermediate-term. As it stands, it is only short-term. We're not getting sell signals in our intermediate-term trend-following gauges. That's what we'll be watching for. That's what we would worry about. We're also, of course, watching support levels, not just for the major indices, but on the individual stock level. So if we started to see a lot of breakdowns that are then confirmed by more than just one down day, but a couple down days, in some cases, even a couple down weeks, that's where we get nervous because that's where breath has really deteriorated. And we don't have that as it stands. The levels that I'm watching for the S&P 500, of course, it's down below its 50-day moving average, like so many major indices around the world also are today. But I'm looking at minor support around 3205 to 3215. It'd be great to see that level hold. I think it probably will on a closing basis or consecutive closing basis. At secondary support, which is even more important to the, I guess, sustainability or in preserving the long-term uptrend, is closer to the 200-day moving average and a former resistance level, which was just below 33. 3030 for the S&P 500. 3030. I'm taking notes furiously. Katie, we appreciate it so much. It's good to see you today. Thanks for your time. Of course. Katie Stockton sure. breaking down the charts for us on a wild day here on Wall Street. That does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. Hot off the press from Maybelline, New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP.